Welcome to the NPO Media Podcast, featuring interviews, stories, and creative content by individuals living with mental illness. My name is Pete Schiffman, board president of the Staten Island chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Together with fellow board member and podcast co-producer Rashid Ali, we believe that showcasing creativity and resilience provides hope, reduces stigma, and lets others know that there's so much more to a person than just a diagnosis. Opinions expressed in the podcast by individuals are their own. Please be aware of possible triggers as traumatic experiences may be shared. This episode features Anna, who shares her experience living with an eating disorder and also speaks about barriers to treatment and misconceptions people have about eating disorders. This is Anna's story. My name is Anna, and I am one of 30 million Americans who has experienced an eating disorder in their lifetime. So I'm going to share my story, a little bit about my experiences with anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating in hopes that it makes someone feel a little bit less alone. So I grew up a very healthy and happy child, two loving parents who always encouraged me to try my best, and two awesome sisters. I was always a straight-A student involved in three or four different extracurricular activities at any given time, and my parents never really put pressure on us to get straight A's or to be the best at anything. Um, They just wanted us to try our best and be happy. So despite a pretty average childhood, there was always one way in which I always felt really different from everyone else, and that was my relationship with food. I was very shy and introverted, I still am, and I didn't want to stand out or be different. Um, However, I had a really big appetite and an adventurous palate, and this made me feel really different from my friends who oftentimes only ate things like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or macaroni and cheese. And so at a really early age, I associated food with shame and only ate things that I felt would be socially acceptable or that my friends would think were okay for me to eat um, or things that they would eat. So for example... In second grade, I only ate salami sandwiches. In third grade, I only ate frozen blueberries to the point in which I remember my um, my fingertips were always purple. And in fourth grade, I only ate applesauce. From a pretty early age, I was also preoccupied with my weight. Again, I'm not really quite sure where this obsession came from as I was not raised in an environment where there was emphasis placed on appearance or weight at all whatsoever. And I also wasn't really exposed to the media a whole lot or anything like that. My best friend was thin, and she was also very extroverted and very confident. And so at an early age, I basically made the connection that she was confident because she was comfortable in her own skin and that she was comfortable in her own skin because she was thin. Therefore, in order for me to feel confident and in order for me to be more you know, bubbly and extroverted, I should lose weight. So that's what I did. I decided that I should lose weight in order to basically gain a better personality and be more confident. And so I went on my first diet at the age of eight. I learned in my third grade class that the body is made up of about 65% water. So I stopped drinking water in order to lose weight. My preoccupation with weight continued for many years and it just grew. I became more obsessed with learning about different weight loss techniques and and that sort of thing. When I was 12 years old and in the seventh grade is when I began forcing myself to vomit. And so I told myself that I would only do this after I'd overeaten. However, it 
was only a matter of time before I was making myself vomit after every snack, after every meal, after every morsel of food that went into my mouth. So this went on for the next few years. When I was 15 years old and I was a sophomore in high school, my secret came out. So I was quickly um, admitted into an intensive outpatient program in Portland, Oregon, which is where I grew up. And, um, and so this intensive outpatient program was called the Cartini Clinic. And it basically um, involved going to the clinic five days a week for three to five different appointments every day. So I was seeing a treatment team um, which involved, um, you know, a, a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, a family therapist, an individual therapist, um, a nutritionist, and the, and the list goes on. So I was missing a lot of school because every day my sophomore year of high school, starting in October, I was going to these three to five appointments on a daily basis. So within about a week and a half or two weeks of having started intensive outpatient, the medical doctor at the clinic realized that I was having some heart issues and that I immediately needed to be checked into the hospital. So I went to the hospital, was inpatient for a couple of weeks and placed on bed rest in order to stabilize my heart and my electrolytes. So I was there for a couple of weeks, was discharged back into the intensive outpatient program that I'd participated in before and continued to do that, although it felt very burdensome to me. I had never had any trouble with school. As I said before, I was always a straight A student. But once I began treatment, my grades really started to plummet. And part of it may have been the fact that I was missing a lot of school due to treatment. But um, I think it was also because I was not only investing a lot of time in my eating disorder, but I was also investing a lot of time in trying to hide my eating disorder from everyone because now my family knew all about it. So within three months of starting eating disorder treatment, I was admitted into a residential program. So it was January. I was taking a history test at school. My mom showed up, pulled me out of class, said, pack your bags. We are swinging by the house so you can grab something for the night. We're flying to Oklahoma and you are being admitted tomorrow morning into a residential eating disorder program. I had no idea that I was even on a waiting list. So that was a really interesting experience. I remember getting there. I had absolutely no idea what to expect whatsoever. And the experience was very scary. And in many ways, it felt very dehumanizing. I remember my first day there being admitted, going through the whole intake process. And, I, you know, at some point I had to use the restroom. So I told the nurse I wanted to use the restroom, wanted them to show me where it was. And so they made an announcement to the rest of the girls who were in the program and asked who else needed to use the restroom. We proceeded to go to the restroom. The nurse or program assistant stood there, watched me use the restroom with the door open and I sat there on the toilet with an audience of about six other girls who were also waiting to use the restroom and then as I reached to flush the toilet she shouted at me told me no you, you cannot flush the toilet I have to flush the toilet for you and they were doing that in order to make sure that you know I, despite the fact that they were watching me use the bathroom that I wasn't like sneaking food into the toilet or that I wasn't somehow managing to purge so it was a very um a very different experience. It did feel dehumanizing in some ways, but ultimately it helped me a lot. While I went in there without really feeling motivated 
to recover from my eating disorder, I left there feeling like I really did want to change. And that was amazing. However, the transition home was really difficult. I was leaving a supportive environment filled with eating disorder specialists, as well as a bunch of girls who could relate to my story on some level, and going back to the place where my eating disorder had developed in the first place and festered and grew over time. So I went home and continued with treatment until I turned 18. And then when I turned 18, I decided that I was an adult, my parents could no longer force me in treatment, and that I was done with it. So I stopped all forms of treatment. And the next year and a half, I was in pretty strong recovery and feeling pretty good about everything. However, I quickly relapsed and began restricting my food intake heavily and began over-exercising. A lot of people make the assumption that when you have an eating disorder or you have other mental health issues that um, you are completely dysfunctional and that you're unable to kind of get by from day to day. This wasn't the case for me, although this was the case for me in high school. At this time, I was working full time and I was also taking some college courses. So I was pretty functional. However, my eating disorder did definitely interfere for me. I was exercising for seven to eight hours every day in order to burn a certain number of calories, and it did take me an extra two years to complete college simply because most college courses were being offered in the morning or early afternoon, which conflicted with my rigid exercise routine. During this time, my sister, who's 14 months younger than me, found out that she was pregnant. She was pretty young. She was also scared. And she asked me if I wanted to be her labor coach. So I was thrilled and over the moon about this idea, could not wait to be an aunt and could not wait to be involved in the delivery. However, about a month before she gave birth, she approached me and she asked me if she should find an alternate labor coach in the event that she goes into labor while I was exercising. She obviously wasn't confident that I would be able to stop exercising if she went into labor to assist in the delivery of my niece. And to be honest, I'm not sure that I would have been able to either. But luckily, it didn't come down to that. So life went on. I continued with the heavy restriction and exercise for many years. And then I decided I was going to pursue an internship in Ghana in West Africa. So I went there for six weeks and this experience just completely changed my life. So I decided I was going to go home to Portland. I was going to get it together and I was going to move to Ghana after graduating. So I decided I'm going to expedite everything. And the first thing I need to do in order to graduate was to cut down dramatically on my exercise. So that's what I did. However, as soon as I cut down on my exercise, I began binge eating. So I spent the next six months binge eating, and then I moved to Ghana, where I lived for one year. I went back to Ghana, somewhat unrecognizable because of my drastic weight gain, and that was a very interesting experience because I went back there and saw many of the people that I had gotten to know while I was there for my internship. And um, Ghana has a really different perspective when it comes to body shape and body size and body weight. Typically, people appreciate individuals who are heavier because it's associated with beauty and it's also associated with wealth. It means that you can take care of yourself and you can feed yourself. And so being called fat in Ghana is a compliment. So I arrived in Ghana and everybody who saw me, who had who had gotten to know me six months 
earlier just kept telling me, oh, you're so fat. You're so fat. And I just, I, I could not let go of that um, because that I, I knew that I had gained a lot of weight, but it was really hard for me to hear. And it was very triggering in many ways. And so I continued binge eating while I was there, although it was kind of in a different form than I was previously. Although I thought I would lose a lot of weight while I was there, I ended up gaining a lot of weight. So I came home after a year and decided I was going to apply for my master's in public health. And I came home and I felt just completely awful about my weight. So I decided, what am I going to do? I'm going to go on a diet. So that's what I did. The years after that basically consisted of binge cycles followed by long periods of heavy restriction. So this continued on as I got engaged, moved to New York for grad school, got married, and then finally graduated with my master's in public health. So then this brings me to the spring of last year when I graduated and I was admitted immediately into a partial hospitalization program in New York City for my eating disorder. This, again, was an an eating disorder program, um, and basically I was there for most meals and snacks and just a whole lot of therapy in between. So it was similar to residential, although I did not sleep there. Around the time that I was admitted to this program, I was also offered a job in Staten Island, and I was really, really enthusiastic about it. I was so eager to begin working that I met with the program staff at the eating disorder program and while they were recommending that I actually go to a higher level of care and go to a residential program, I decided to sign myself out of their program after only six weeks. So I began working mid-June and then I moved to Staten Island in August. Oftentimes for me, a change of environment can be helpful in breaking the cycle, especially if I'm experiencing um, symptoms related to binge eating. But I have really come to the realization that I am someone who does need consistent therapy in order to manage my eating disorder symptoms. And I do hope that eventually with time, I will need less therapy and maybe someday no therapy at all. But for now, this is where I'm at. However, this is particularly difficult in Staten Island. According to the National Eating Disorder Association's comprehensive resources, there is not a single therapist or dietitian on Staten Island that specializes in eating disorders. And eating disorders really require specialized care and a treatment team. Only 10% of people with eating disorders get treatment, and only 35% of those who do get treatment get specialized care. I would imagine that that number is even lower on Staten Island, where we severely lack resources. When it comes to eating disorders, Staten Island truly is the forgotten borough. So with that, I would like to leave you with a few main points and kind of takeaways about eating disorders. The first, and this is very, very important, is that eating disorders are mental disorders and they are not weight disorders. You cannot tell by looking at someone whether or not they have an eating disorder. I've been underweight, overweight, and obese throughout the course of my eating disorder, but for much of the time in which I've been struggling, I was within a healthy weight range. This alone is oftentimes a barrier to treatment. People are afraid that they won't be taken seriously because they don't look sick. Just because someone looks healthy does not mean that they are healthy. Second, 
Functionality is not always indicative of whether or not there's a problem, although it can be. People with eating disorders are oftentimes very high-functioning individuals, oftentimes considered to be perfectionists, and waiting until their personal or professional lives begin to crumble before seeking help can be deadly. A not-so-fun fact about eating disorders, eating disorders do have the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. There's also a stereotype that only young, privileged white girls develop eating disorders. That is not true. At least 10% of people diagnosed with eating disorders are men, and due to stigma and other barriers, there's a really good chance that more men experience eating disorders but do not seek help for it. People of color also experience eating disorders, as do children, older people, people with disabilities, and individuals of various socioeconomic statuses. Unfortunately, eating disorders are oftentimes vastly undiagnosed, especially among populations that do not fit the stereotype. And then finally, eating disorders are not a choice. Yes, someone may choose to go on a diet or to purge. However, eating disorders are mental disorders that are about much more than making decisions. Oftentimes, it is difficult for people to understand this, even those of us with eating disorders, including me. To this day, it has been difficult for me to accept the fact that I did not choose this path and to let go of the guilt and self-blame. Eating disorders are not a lifestyle, and I did not choose this, and neither have the rest of us. Thank you.